Praise God. We're going to see some of that caring tonight in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, sorry. And uh, we finished with 2. And um, praise the Lord. And last week, we we just covered a few verses last week because we were talking about, um, you know, some different keys that, um, some elements to the birth of the New Testament church. And um, just to reiterate, some of the things that were strong and prevalent in the early church is one, they committed themselves or they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So they were people of the word, amen? They loved teaching. They loved the, the, the word of God. They loved the doctrines of the church, amen? Um, and the other thing we saw is that um, they loved to be together. They loved to fellowship. They loved to go to church and be with one another. They loved each other. Um, and they broke bread. They took communion together, amen? Um, and they probably had... You know, remember back in the uh, in the eighties, they used to have what do they call them? The um, what were those dinners called, Dan? Were the church, love love feasts? The love feast, you know, where the church would come and we and we participate. Dan, we had a love feast on Sunday. Praise God! You know, where the church comes together and eats together. Um, you know, they say you've heard the old saying: a family that eats together stays together. Amen. Well, it's the same in church because there's nothing like breaking bread with each other. To getting to know, getting you know, building a special bond, um, and then we also said that they were steadfast in prayers. They they attended prayer meetings, so they had prayer. They had Bible study. They had fellowship, which I like to see that as like a corporate worship time, right? They took communion. They had prayer meetings. Amen. And in verse 43, it says, they moved in the supernatural. Great fear came upon the city because there were many signs and wonders done. All right. And then 44, we see verse 44, we saw that there was a great spirit of generosity that was amongst them. Nothing forced, nothing issued by law or demand, but it was just the Holy Spirit, the gift of generosity that moved upon them to have all things in common. All right. And then finally, we saw in verse 46 that they continued daily. They met together daily and they met in the temple, which is a corporate setting. And then they met house to house, which is the small group setting. Amen. And a healthy church, as we discussed last week, really needs both. You need the corporate structure and you need the house to house. Um, and the same thing is kind of a parallel to that. Um, Brother Dan and Karen, they're very familiar. And Brother Rick and maybe some others here, Laura, are very familiar with outdoor ministry, street ministry. Um, we used to do street ministry in Bradford. They've done it in Mardi Gras and Athens. And there's an open air preach where there's the minister that preaches. And then there's the one-on-one. And they both work hand in hand. The open air preacher with the one-on-one ministry. All right. And it's really not very, it's not a good day if those two are not working together. You really, the dynamics of an outreach, you need the open air and you need the intimate one-to-one. Well, it's the same thing in growth of the church. You need the open temple corporate worship setting and you need the house-to-house intimate, which would be like the one-to-one. Because that's really, 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 really can be real with one another. 
Sometimes it's hard to, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect of confessing your faults one to another. All right, it's in the house-to-house ministry that that usually takes place. And the Methodists shook the world with that model. They shook the world, amen? So, praise God. Now, moving into uh, chapter three, we see that um, they had favor with all people. All right, the church had favor. And when the church is moving in these areas and moving in the power of the spirit, you'll have favor with all men. So, and then last point, is the Lord added to the church how often? Daily. It just makes sense since, since they were meeting daily that the Lord added daily. Amen? Praise God. Uh, it's a, you know, and so I'll leave it at that. But the other thing underlined, the Lord added to the church daily such as what should be saved. Amen? Such as should be saved. And we saw that um, when the Holy Spirit was being poured out and when Jesus, when he was speaking to the disciples, he told them that, you know, there are those go to Jerusalem, to uh, Samaria, and to the uttermost, all right? And let me find that real fast. He says, verse 8, you shall receive power in the Holy Ghost. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. All right? And then it says, um, many as it much be saved. I'm trying to find that. Well, no wonder I'm in the wrong Bible. Yeah, I got, you know, it might help if I get the right Bible open here. I'm looking at the wrong one. As many as must be saved. To you, your children, and that's the verse I'm looking for. There it is. Look at verse 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. The promises to you and your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. There are people out here that the Lord has called. And the mission of the church is to go on a treasure hunt and find all those that the Lord has called. Amen. Who are far off. And, and Paul was told that. And we'll see that later on in the, in the book of Acts. Paul was getting beat up and he was, he was thinking, man, I'm going to leave. And Jesus said, told him, he spoke to him, heard the audible voice. He said, Paul, I've got many believers here in this city. I've got many people that I've called. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, as many as should be saved, who the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Send the rain, Lord. Send the latter rain. So chapter three, verse one, it says now, so this is the environment now that's happening. Peter and John, they went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. All right. So the day started at midnight. So this is 9 a.m., the hour of prayer. 
And a certain man, now where were they going into? The temple. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Pentecost has been poured out. They're still going to the temple, amen? They didn't think, well, you know, we're better than that. They're still, you know, I like that verse about Jesus where it says, Jesus went to the synagogue as it was his custom, amen? It's our custom to come to church on a Wednesday night and hear the word. Now, he says, they went into the temple and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Verse three, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch that is called Solomon. And they were greatly wondering. Praise God. Father, thank you for the scriptures tonight. Lord, we ask, Lord, that as you open your word, as we open our Bibles together, God, that you would open our hearts, God. Lord, that you would breathe life, Lord. And Lord, let the word of God enrich us, Lord. Lord, fill our spirits, God, with truth, God. Thank you, Spirit, for teaching us all things from your word, God. Bring into remembrance those things that we have forgotten and show us, reveal things that have been hidden up till now, God. Thank you, God, for preserving your word, God. You're a faithful God, Lord, and you don't leave your children without instruction. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everybody says, amen. I love when the scriptures always identify a certain man. This is not a parable. This is a real incident. All right. And he was standing, this man who couldn't walk. He was at the east gate. That's the gate they call the beautiful gate. That's actually the gate that the Muslims during the wars there in Jerusalem, they walled up that gate. And tradition has it they walled it up because they think that they're going to keep the Messiah from walking through there again. Well, they don't, haven't, haven't read their Bibles, have they? Because the Bible says in Zechariah, when Jesus comes back to earth, he's going to step on Mount Olives. And when his big toe touches the Mount of Olives, there's going to be a great earthquake that's going to split through Jerusalem and change the complete topography of that land. And I guarantee it's going to split that east gate wide open. Amen. 
In the same way that Jesus came riding lowly and meekly on a donkey, amen, with you and me, he's going to be coming down riding in power on a great white war horse, amen? Praise the Lord. So, also I like to think of this gate, you know, this is interesting that this is where the first miracle of the church happened. And we must strive as a church not to wall up the supernatural, not to put brick and mortar and say, this is no longer for us. Amen. We must strive to have the power of the supernatural. That's what the church was birthed in. Amen. And so we see here when he was at the temple, he was asking an alm and that basically he was asking for, um, for help, asking for money. Um, when you go out here to 275 and you exit it, you may see veterans or homeless um, men or women or people that are, you know, asking for money. That, that would be like they're asking for an alm. And now, man, wow. Now, seeing Peter and John, this man, he looks up at him and he asked for an alm. Now, he asked for an alm, but he got something completely different, didn't he? He asked for a temporary help, but the Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus, gave him strength to help himself. Amen? This man went from a beggar to someone that was able to produce and work and meet his needs for himself and his family. Amen? Now, there's, a, there's a, something we can learn from this is, is there's nothing wrong with the church helping people. You know, welfare is needed at times, okay? But let's be clear that that's not the primary mission of the church. The primary mission of the church is not welfare. The primary mission of the church is wholeness, amen? The primary mission of the church is deliverance and freedom, if they was to give that man an alm, sooner or later, that check would run out. That money would run out, amen? And then where he's at? Back where he started. But the church has the power to change an individual's life forever so they never go back to where they once were, amen? And I believe that that's the power and the pattern that the Lord has laid out. That's what the book of Acts is. It's like a manual for the church on how to operate. So alms are good, but alms are not the main mission, praise God. So he says, fastening his eyes on them, he said, look on us, all right? Fix your eyes on us. Focus right here. And then the man did. And what did he do? He did expecting, amen? Remember, we've been talking about expectation, all right? He was expecting to receive something from them. Now, he may thought they were going to give him some money. It doesn't say. It just says that he was expecting to receive. Amen? Now, underline that in your Bible, expecting to receive. When we minister, when you minister, anytime you come in and you're asking for something, you have to have an expectation to receive. Amen? Amen? Because there's a difference between a wine 
a whiny cry, just, oh, help me, God. Oh, you just want to hear yourself. You just feel like you should say. And then there's a difference when you're actually asking and expecting a solution. You know, there are times, you know, when our children or people that you know, they just want to whine to you. They don't really expect to receive a solution. They just want you to hear their problems, but they really don't want to hear the solution. Amen. This man was expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, hey, silver and gold have I none, but there's something much greater that I have, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is greater than silver or gold, praise God. The name of Jesus, the name that's above all other names. And I'd like to take a minute to talk about the name of Jesus tonight. Go with me over to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Verse 17. Say amen when you're there. Now these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. In my name shall they cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name, we see that happening right here in chapter three of Acts. Peter said, in the name of Jesus, Rise up and walk. He used the name that Jesus gave him permission to use. The name of Jesus is above all powers. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The name of Jesus is above all powers. It's, I love that new song we're singing um, where it says, above all thrones and dominions above all powers and positions. Amen. Did you know that the name of Jesus is higher than the president of the White House? It's higher than whoever's seating. I don't even know who's actually has the uh, authority seat in the European Union at the moment, but it's higher than that. It's higher than the World Trade Organization. It's, it's higher than the WHO the World Health Organization, and all these other different bodies across the globe. The name of Jesus is higher than all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Are you there? All right, look at this. His name is above all powers. Come on, Jeremy, flip them pages. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 20. Now, verse 19 what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us? His power towards us. It's exceeding and great. Who believe? How many believe tonight? His power's for you. According to the working of his mighty power. He does the work. He did the work. He just wants to use us as a conduit of his mighty power. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. If you go over there and you put your finger in the socket, you're going to get some power. Amen. Why? Because Duke Energy is faithful to distribute power to this building. Praise God. The Holy Spirit is faithful to distribute power. All you got to do is put your hand in the socket. Amen. And the power's there. It says, he rotted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that's where it, the work was done. That's where you now have justification through the Spirit to have the power of the Holy Spirit work through you. And we talked about this extensively the other, a couple weeks ago when we did the whole thing about salvation. Why? Because your sins there's no sin, there's no evil that exists in you now because of the cross and his blood took away, took the sin off of mankind, took the evil off of mankind. He was raised from the dead. Your sins are clean. You are considered raised from the dead. And the, because you are now considered holy, his power rests upon the believer. Amen? So... And that's why we got to preach the resurrection from the dead. It says, he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world right here, but also in the world to come. The name of Jesus that name is going to stand forever, even after God gives power to create a new heaven and a new earth, all right? So this same name, the name of Jesus, his name, it says, is above all powers. So it's above all, whatever power, whatever, whatever was broken, whatever thing was going on in that man's foot, both of his legs, right? The power that crippled him, the name of Jesus had more power over it, all right? My name is nothing. Peter's name is nothing. But the name of Jesus is above that power that made that lame man crippled, amen? And so it's, Peter, we'll see here in a minute, he talks about how that worked out. All right, so the name of Jesus. It's above all other names. Philippians two, chapter 2, verse 9, go there real fast. The name of Jesus above every other name. It's above Buddha. Ah, praise God. The name of Jesus is above Hira Krishna. It's above Muhammad. Amen? It's above the Dalai Lama. It's above Joseph Smith. The name of Jesus is above all those names. Philippians, what I say? 2.9. Philippians 2.9. Oh, get these fingers working tonight. Philippians 2.9, are you there? Say amen. Listen to this. The exaltation of Jesus' name. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. God exalted Jesus. Satan, Lucifer, tried to exalt himself and God made him low. Lucifer became Satan, the adversary, all right? Why? Because he was lifted up in pride. So God said, you think you're going to be exalted? You shall be made low. Jesus came to earth and did exactly the opposite. He was exalted. He became low for the human race, 
And then God has given him a name that is highly exalted above every other name. And that's why the devil hates it when the church uses his name. Why? Because he knows that his name is exalted above Satan's name. His name is above fallen Lucifer, that fallen angel. His name is exalted above that. And that's why the people out there in the world, they like you to say, oh, I think God is wonderful. I think God is great. Praise, you know, I just want to thank God. Well, you know what? You need to thank Jesus. You need to use the name that's above every other name, praise God. Because that name is the name that God exalted. God knows his name. God wants to hear the human race exalt the name that he already exalted on high, amen? He wants to hear the people exalt the name of Jesus. And the world out there, world religion, world economic forums, you know, all the world globalism, they want everybody to have everything in common, but they don't want you to use the name of Jesus. The Hindu says God, the Muslim says God, even the Catholic says God. Man, there's even Protestants that say God. They're too scared to use the name of Jesus. But God wants the real church, the church that's going to move in power and demonstration. It's the name of Jesus. Amen? The name of Jesus. It's exalted above every other name, praise God. Now look at this. Go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Talking about the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Man, you guys getting fired up? Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verse 10. Look what it says here. Say amen if you're there. All right. Proverbs 18, 10 says, the name of the Lord is a what? It's a strong tower. And the righteous run into it. And where are they? They are safe. Amen. Remember that old song we used to sing in Sunday school? The name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and they are safe they are safe why because the name of the lord is a strong tower so the name of the lord it's a place of safety right so when you go into a place and you feel like this doesn't feel good you just say jesus i run into your name you are my strong tower you are my place of safety amen You are the most high. I'm running into your name. I'm running into the strong tower. You speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. It's a place of safety. All right. Now, I want to show you something. Just Peter knew this because Jesus told him, but the Lord has given us permission to use his name. All right. We're family. Amen. Jesus The Bible says he is like, he is our Lord, he's our Savior and Master, but there was a relationship of being in the family. He's also our eldest brother because he was the first person that put on flesh that had been raised from the dead, all right? And so in the new order of things to come of the resurrected people, you know, not everybody's gonna be raised from the dead. There are people that are gonna die and go straight to the, the, the bad part of Hades, all right, the place of torment, there are going to be people, if the Lord comes back, 
During the seven-year tribulation, they're going to just live and they're going to go right into the millennium. All right? There are going to be people in the, in the reign of Christ when he returns to earth. There are going to be people like us that have new bodies. And there are going to be people that don't. People that have just been born and are just normal people. All right? So he's given us, the believers, permission to use his name. Now, look at this in Ephesians 3.15. What I was getting at is we're family, okay? We're family. We're family. He says, 14, verse 14, for this, chapter 3, verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom, what? The whole family in heaven and earth is named. Who are we named in? We're named in his family, all right? Jesus is the family name. He's the family name. So if you go into business and you're, you know, well, if you have a son or a daughter and they're taking on the family business, they use the family name, right? It's the family name is the business. We are the church. We're doing the work of Jesus that he left for us to do here on earth while he's away. He's given us the counselor. He's given us a great partnership with the Holy Spirit, and he expects the church to use the family name when they do business, amen? Not your name, his name. The other thing about his name is we are co-laborers. Look at Colossians chapter 1 real fast. Colossians chapter 1. Chapter 3, sorry. Colossians 3, 17 says this. Three seventeen. are you there? Now, whatsoever you do in word or deed, whether you're speaking, preaching, teaching, witnessing, or working in the food pantry, or laying hands on the sick, whatever you do, all do it all in the name of what? The Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So let me tell you something, food pantry workers. When you're out there, we're part of Christian Life Center, but you're not giving out food in the name of Christian Life Center. You're giving out food in the name of Jesus. And we're a commissioned body. Christian Life Center, you know what that name really is? That name is a legal entity that the state of Ohio requires us as a congregation to operate under. And we have certain, we have certain uh, statutes certain constitution, some governing laws, right, for the membership of the church. But really, the only power that the name Christian Life Center has is with the state because the state now recognizes us as a legal body. So that's where the power of Christian Life Center is. But you go try to lay hands on people and say, in the name of Christian Life Center, be healed in Jesus, be healed be healed in the name of Christian Life Center, you're not going to get very far, are you? <laughs> you're not going to get very far. You need to lay hands on the sick and say, in the name of Jesus, all right? Same way when you're giving out food, okay? Do it in the name of Jesus, because everybody that are laboring, they're doing it unto Jesus. Everybody that has donated money to the church to distribute that food, they didn't give to man. 
Those of you that are generous in the congregation, you didn't give to Pastor Lonnie or, or, or uh, Brother Dan. You gave to Jesus. Amen? Your account is in heaven, and then they are now distributing those funds as the Lord gives them wisdom. So you're doing those things in the name of Jesus. The problem where the love starts to get lost is when people start doing it unto man, and that's where it gets hard. How many have ever experienced those days when you're working and you're laboring? Your labor of love all of a sudden turns, it turns, something happens, it feels like it's a struggle. Well, why is that? Because something happened, all of a sudden now, the labor was done in the name of man, or you were thinking about other things, and what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is he just wants us to remind us back in Colossians 3.17, whatever you're doing, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Patricia's cooking them delicious meals. And yeah, she may be serving the team, maybe serving the people, but she's not cooking meals for man. She's cooking meals for Jesus, amen? She's cooking meals for Jesus. Who I feel the glory because that's how the Holy Spirit then gives you energy because all of a sudden you're doing it for the one that you love and the Spirit gets inside of you and he gives you strength and it doesn't matter if you've only had two or three hours of sleep. All of a sudden you're just, you're invigorated with power and your inner man, because your motive and who you're doing it for is correct. Amen? But when you're doing it in your own strength, boy, that's when things get tired. Amen? That's when things start to go sour. Praise God. So whatever you do, so we're to do things in his name. And then we see in chapter, Acts chapter 4, his name is given. My God, the the Lord has given his name. You know, and that takes risk. Takes risk. How many has ever been asked to be a co-signer? Ooh, whoa. You, you start to get a little nervous, don't you? Why? Because whose name's on the line? Your name's on the line. He gave his name. His name's on the line. But guess whose job it is then, if his name's on the line, guess whose job it is to follow through with the promises? Just like we said, when he cut that covenant with Abraham, he said, Abraham said, how am I gonna know you're gonna do what you say, Lord? And he cut a covenant. He cut a blood covenant with Abraham. He says, this is how you'll know it. Because I've made a covenant that no man breaks a covenant. Because if a man breaks a covenant, he, ex he ceases to exist. And God cannot cease to exist. Therefore, he cannot break his word. He cannot break his covenant. Amen? And it is on that, it is on that promise, on that name, that when we speak his name, when we do things for Christ, we've got his backing. Amen? Praise God. Now, it says in Acts 4, it says this. Look at this. It says, Acts 4, 12. There's salvation in no other name. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this is what the religions of the world can't stand. They can't stand. They think born-again Christians are narrow-minded. You bet, you bet we're narrow-minded. We're narrow-minded on a narrow way. Praise God, because there's no other name. You can't get saved. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. 
No other name. Now, think about what Jesus asked in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, what did he say? Lord, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. Did, did, the, did the Lord say, well, you know, Jesus, in 600 AD, there's going to be a guy named Muhammad come on the scene. I think he can take care of it if you, if you can't. He didn't say that. He said, well, you know, Joseph Smith's coming down the line when America and ate. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, if there be any other way, if there's another way. Well, there wasn't it. And Jesus knew there wasn't another way. Why? Because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved through that name. When Jesus told the parable of the guy that was at the dinner table and somehow or another he got in the party, I don't know how the doorman let him slip in, but he was walking the the feast and he saw a man sitting at the table and he had the wrong clothes on. And he's like, who let you in? You have the wrong garments on. In other words, you've not been clothed in white in the righteousness of God because you have not believed on the name that is given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus, amen. And so I tell you, church, let's all make a pact together to never back up, let up, quit, Never give up on the name of Jesus, no matter, because there's a pressure out there. There's a pressure out there. Just like we're going to see here in Acts 5, the Sanhedrin said, you go on and do what you want, but don't use that name. That voice is still speaking today. There's still a world out there that doesn't matter if we play church. It doesn't matter how many buildings we build. doesn't matter how many programs we do. Just don't use that name. Don't use the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of Jesus, if you, if you embrace that name, you say, your way's wrong. Your way's an error. Your way's not the truth. Your way's not the life. Your way's, it's not the way. And then what do you do? You make them look like liars, and they don't like that. The Bible says the devil, he is the chief. He is the father of lies. But boy, he hates to be called out. And when you say Jesus is the only way, you're calling all those other liars out. You're calling them on the carpet and say, you lie. So, his name is given. And then we see that there is faith in his name. Now look at this, go back to Acts here. Acts chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Now Peter, when Peter saw it, 38 minutes, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? All right, so the people were flipping out because this guy was lame, and now he was leaping. And Peter is saying, Why are you guys getting excited about this? In other words, Children of Israel, don't you know that the promise of the kingdom, one of the benefits of the kingdom is that the lame man walks? Look at Isaiah 35, verse 6. This is a promise of the kingdom that was delivered to Israel. Isaiah 35, 6 says this. It 
Same thing he said to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, why are you doubting? Go tell John, this is happening, this is happening. The lame men walk, the blind receive their sight. The Messiah is here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because these things are happening. Isaiah 35, verse 6 says, let's, well, let's go uh, verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. This is a promise to Israel, all right? Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame man will leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And this is exactly the ministry. You know, remember, church is pre-kingdom of Israel for a thousand years, but the power of the kingdom is within the church. And these things are signs to show that the kingdom of God is with us, amen? You know, we need a message. The church needs a message that says, fear not. Don't be of a fearful heart, like we sang tonight. The name of Jesus, it should cast out all fear. If there's fear, then you need to, you need to increase your faith in his name, and you do that by his word, amen? You, you increase your faith by studying his name, by studying his word. You shouldn't, the church should not be a, a fearful people, amen? We should actually have a message for people that are afraid, a message that says, you don't have to be afraid. Be strong, for your God comes. So that's why Peter's asking him back here in chapter three, why are you guys astonished at this? Don't you read your Bibles? Don't you understand this is what happens when Jesus comes? When the name of Jesus is used, blind eyes see, lame men walk, death speak, great, amazing things happen at the name of Jesus. Why you marvel? And then also he says, or why do you look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we had made this man walk? Now that's a key right there. It wasn't Peter's holiness that gave him some special power that made this guy be able to rise to his feet. It was the name of Jesus and faith in his name that made this man rise up. Because look what he says in verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he's glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And that's what they did. Pilate said, shall I just, we have a custom here, I can, you know, I can trade prisoners. Do you want me to release Jesus and keep Barabbas, the murderer? No, release Barabbas, crucify. He's not our king. They denied the just one and received the guilty one. And you killed the prince of life. Another word for prince of life is the author of life. You killed the author of life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Notice again, every time you see Peter's sermon, he's always mentioning 
God raising Jesus from the dead. Anytime you go out and preach the good news, always mention that Christ has been raised from the dead. Don't just go out there and say Jesus died for your sins. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to make you a better person. Okay? That's reformation. The crucified life is, is that Jesus died for your sins. He was raised from the dead. And if you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, you will die to yourself and Christ will be made alive in you. As you die to self, Christ will be risen in you. That is the gospel. But the church has watered it down. History has watered it down with, you know, just trying to reform people and make them good people. No. The Bible's very clear. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who could know it? There's no good thing in the human heart. The man, the woman, we must be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but it's not I who lives, Galatians tells us, but it's Christ who lives in me. So it's me dead and Christ alive. That is the true gospel. So he says, God raised him from the dead and we are his witnesses. And look what verse 16 says, and his name through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. So it was his name and it was faith in his name that made this man strong. Not his holiness, not his, not, not his character. You know, he could, you know, the name of Jesus is stronger. And here's the reason why. Well, what if it's got to do with Peter's holiness? What if it's got to do with his good character? Well, then what happens when Peter goes off the rail? Does the, does the power of the church go with it? You know, we went and saw the uh, great movie. We went and saw anybody ever seen Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen that movie yet? Go see it. It's good. But there's a, I don't want to, trying to say this without spoiling it for you, but um, Two, the, two, the two guys get, they get they, it's like Paul and Barnabas, you know? And this is the beauty that I love about this movie and about church history. Man is flawed. The name of Jesus isn't. Man is flawed. The name of Jesus isn't. And as long as you keep Jesus' name front and center, everything's gonna be fine. Once we start putting our own name out there, Thinking, oh, it's my holiness, or it's my power, or these, the, you know, think about it. This church, man, it, if, if I don't do something, this church is not going to, you know, have power in the community. It's not going to transform our community. God forbid that anybody, in any member of this church, put that kind of pressure that it's the power of pastor or the leadership team that makes this church grow. It didn't say Peter added to the church daily. Who did it add to the church daily? God added to the church daily. God added to the church. Why? Because it's God who called. It's God who calls and it's God who adds. Amen? 
And what happens sometimes is the church puts so much pressure and so much emphasis on a man's name or a man's character or his position, and they expect him to do it. That's what's happening in Rome right now. Everybody's looking to the Pope for answers. I'm telling you, the Pope don't have squat on the name of Jesus. It's not the Pope's name. It's the name of Jesus, the Jesus Christ from Nazareth. He actually has a residence. He was born in Bethlehem and he resided from Nazareth. And they said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? You betcha. The name of Jesus. The name given among men by which we must be saved. Praise God. I think that's a good place to stop, Pastor. Hope you guys got something out of that tonight. You guys love his name tonight? That was the focus, man. I just want you to love the name of Jesus tonight more than any other name.